Well, today, church, we're going to continue in our sermon series in the book of Exodus titled Wooed in the Wilderness. So I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 5. Today's passage is Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 1. And you can find that on page 48 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. Today I'm going to walk us through the passage, and then I'm going to bring out, toward the end, three responses to crucifixion. One, to crucify. Two, to despair. Three, to believe. And therein, on that third one, is where we draw the title of today's sermon, The Believer. And so with that said, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. And if you're not able to stand, please stand with us in your hearts. Again, today's passage is Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 1. But I will be reading verses 18 in chapter 5 to verse 1 of chapter 6. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them. And as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's respond together. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, there are a few actors who tend to play the same role in every film. This is called typecasting. And one of the most long-time and beloved is Sam Elliott. Now, you can almost always count on Sam Elliott to be a rugged, mustached, well-worn, gritty old fella with a deep, guttural drawl. Except in Parks and Rec, where he plays a New Age hippie. But that's another story. One of my favorites is his role as Command Sergeant Major Basil L. Plumley in the film We Were Soldiers. There, he's a decorated combat soldier who served as a paratrooper all throughout World War II and then the Korean War and now is helping to establish the air cavalry of the Vietnam War. In other words, this guy has seen some stuff. And so he doesn't play around with these young idealistic soldiers. For example, in one scene, a guy simply says, Good morning, Sergeant Major. And he responds without even looking at him, How do you know what kind of day it is? (laughs) And it's not just that he's mean, but he knows from decades of war that for these guys to fight well and possibly survive at all, they're going to need to be tough. 
Today, as we enter back into the story of Exodus, as Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh to famously say, let my people go, they're about to see some stuff. And if they're going to possibly survive, they're going to need to be tough. Not because of what Pharaoh is going to do, y'all, but Yahweh, the one true God. Remember the title of our sermon series is Wooed in the Wilderness. See, when Yahweh is in charge, things often get worse before they get better, even for Yahweh's people. This is the nature of crucifixion. Now, obviously, there is not literal crucifixion here in this passage. But I'm going to use this word a lot today. And when I do, here's what I'm referring to. Crucifixion is hardship that believers are nailed to and, can, and cannot escape from on their way to new life. Y'all, it's making bricks without straw. And it's like the rhyme from the well-known children's book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Kiddos, can any of you quote it with me? Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Can't go around it. Gotta go through it. Y'all know that Christians are called to this, right? Crucifixion. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his, what? Cross and follow me. We are literally falling following a man who was crucified and tells us to carry our cross. Therefore, Peter picks up on this later when he writes, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. All right, let's get a little Mandalorian liturgy going here. Crucifixion for the Christians. This is the way. This is the way. This is how we do it, okay? And yet we still get surprised, don't we? In light of the recent hard things in the life of our church, we find ourselves responding, why? Why is this happening? We step out in faith. We commit to the church, but we get hurt. We seek intentional gospel relationships, but they are elusive and they get messy. We commit to God's mission and then it shreds us like a meat grinder, I recently recounted to a mentor, a veteran pastor, all the hardships that have happened in the context of our church since 2020. And he said this, why do you take hardship as a sign that you're doing something wrong? Maybe it's actually a sign that you're doing something right. You see, the path to the new creation is often by way of the wilderness. Welcome easy, but expect hard. Welcome easy, but expect hard. And look at how this plays out in Exodus chapter 5. We read in verse 1, Afterward Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So yes, no doubt there's, there's nervousness here. But there's also confidence and expectation that comes from the obedience to the one true God. They're like, this is going to be easy. God is for us, not against us. Verse 2, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. 
So this is not a lack of knowledge on Pharaoh's part, but a lack of fear. Remember, Pharaoh is seen as the human embodiment of the gods. He sees the Lord here as a rival deity. And you know what he does? Laughs in his face. Think about who he's speaking to. He is speaking to the sent one, the human embodiment here of Yahweh, Moses. And his question is similar to Satan's in the Garden of Eden, if you think about it like this. Who is the Lord? Did God really say that he sent you to do this? So in saying no, he's not just opposing Moses. He is opposing Yahweh and the great mandate for his people to fill the earth and multiply and be fruitful. But it gets worse. Continuing in verse 3. Then they said, well, the God of Hebrews has met with us. So please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. This here being an allusion to some of the things that are about to happen, but even more so to God's faithfulness to fulfill his mission and that anyone opposed to it will inevitably be destroyed, whether Israel or Egypt does not matter. No one's getting in God's way. Verse 4, but the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. They cry, therefore, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. What's happened is that Pharaoh has not only responded, no, but has made their workload now impossible. So imagine the cruelty of saying to someone, all right, there's 11 acres around this building. You are going to go and cut the grass, but you're not allowed to have a lawnmower. Go and find yourself a pair of scissors. And if you don't get all of the grass cut with those scissors by the end of the day, I'm going to beat you cruelty that is on display here it's just crazy the sentiment is like this oh so you got time to sit around and talk about taking a pilgrimage huh hmm and you got leaders telling you that your god has revealed himself and called for this pilgrimage ah sounds like you don't have enough work to do let me get you let me get you a little extra work to do so you're not thinking about these things and i want you to notice the satanic act at the end of pharaoh's edict He says, pay no regard to lying words. What's he doing? He's discrediting Yahweh's sent one, Moses. Remember, the people have believed that the Lord sent Moses. And so Pharaoh is sowing doubt in their minds. Did God really say? Has he really met with you? See what he's doing? And in so doing, Pharaoh has broken what will be the first four of the Ten Commandments. Think about this. First, 
You shall have no other gods before me. What is Pharaoh saying? (laughs) Who is the Lord? He is a rival deity, and I am greater. He's broken that one. Second one, you shall not bow down or serve an image. The Lord Yahweh is saying, let my people go that they may serve me. And Pharaoh is saying, no, no, no. They stay here and they serve me. Third commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Pharaoh has basically said, Yahweh's name? I don't care. Who is this? Fourth one, you shall keep the Sabbath. The Lord wants his people to go out so that they can rest in him. And Pharaoh says, no, no, they're going to stay here and work for me. And so just like happens any time that we put ourselves in the place of God, Pharaoh's heart is as hard as a stone. He will not bend to God's will. And so the story continues on in this way, if I can summarize for us. The edict is then carried out by the Egyptian taskmasters and the Israelite foremen. You see, the way that this worked is Egypt had set up Israelite leaders called foremen who would oversee the work being carried out. And so, inevitably, when they cannot make the quota of bricks, here's what happened. The foremen get beaten. And we pick back up in verse 15. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are then beaten. But the fault is with your own people. You've made this impossible. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. This is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now go and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. What is this trouble? It's crucifixion. It's hardship that believers are nailed to and cannot escape from on their way to new life. The foreman are saying, this is impossible. God, why have you put us in impossible circumstances? Anybody identify with that today? Anyone here been making bricks without straw today, if you're honest about it? Interestingly, the ultimate focus, though, of this passage is not necessarily on Pharaoh's response to Yahweh. That's why I busted through most of the chapter pretty quickly, because I want to focus on what I think is the ultimate focus of this passage. Not Pharaoh's response, but Israel's. How will God's people respond to the crucified life? And what can we learn from those responses? Well, here's our first one. To crucify. We can respond to the crucified life by crucifying in turn. This refers to the foreman's response beginning in verse 20, which in some ways the foreman represent the entire people of Israel here in the setting. Verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So can you imagine this? So Moses and Aaron waiting outside and they're like, hey guys, how'd it go? 
And the response is a curse spoken down from heaven upon them. This means that the satanic scheme of Pharaoh has worked. He has discredited Yahweh's sent one, Moses. Remember, it was Pharaoh who worked all these evils. But the foremen are speaking as if Moses had done it. They are essentially saying, this is all your fault. So listen to the hyperbole here. They go above and beyond in their language. You have made us stink. Do they really stink to Pharaoh and them? No, it's hyperbole. You have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Has Moses and Aaron really given a sword to Pharaoh and his servants to slice and dice them? No, they haven't. This is hyperbole. And so they call down judgment on the very one that was sent to save them. Here is their own hard hearts on display and a foreshadowing of their grumbling in the wilderness. So what is their response to crucifixion? To crucify and turn. Kiddos in the room. All right, listen to this example and see if you identify with it at all. If we're acting like Israel here, then this is like when you receive a consequence for disobeying your parents. But instead of being sad about what you've done, you begin tattling on your siblings so that they receive the same consequences as you. Any kiddos in the room ever do that? <laughs> A little tattletale action going on with the kiddos? Nope, nope. My kids are perfect too. Adults in the room, let's talk about you for a minute. Cancel church. Okay, we're going to end it here. Dear Lord, thank you for this sermon today. This is like when someone honks and curses at you on the way to work, which we're in the south end of Louisville, Kentucky. I know that never happens. I'm just, you know, it's just a random example here. It might fit, so maybe. When someone honks and curses at you on the way to work, but instead of considering what you might have done to frustrate them, you find yourself then honking and cursing at everybody else along the way. See, there is a warning here for us, church. And I think it's summed up well in the book of Hebrews where it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. As it is said, and the author here is drawing from the book of Exodus, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see, here's, his, here's how he sums this up. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The foreman bought into Pharaoh's lies. Therefore, they could not hold on to belief. So they attacked Yahweh's sent one. This is all your fault. They took their focus off of themselves and their own needs, and they put it upon someone else. Now, one point of timely relevance to to us here is this. In response to the sins that have been recently worked in our midst, Our temptation is to go further 
than being grieved in our desire for holiness, but to then crucify the sinners or the church, rather than receiving the warning that comes from all church discipline to be self-reflective and reminded of our own susceptibility to sin. In other words, church, beware of your own hardened heart. And this is something that that as a church, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We can't go around it. We have to go through it. And so our response to this crucifixion should not be to crucify in turn. And yet neither is the next response that we see in the passage to despair. For poor Moses, his worst nightmare has come true. Y'all remember this, his big hesitation in being obedient to Yahweh. His great wound that he carried for 40 years was rejection. Not from Pharaoh, but from Israel, his own people. And now look who has rejected him. Who's rejected Moses here, church? His own people, Israel. Listen, I'm not going to lie to you. When you step out in obedience, often your fears will at some point become reality. Not because God is cruel, but because this is how you grow. Belief is not forged when there is no cause for it, but when it's all you've got left. Listen to the despair in Moses here, verse 22. And Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. My goodness, that's raw. Now, on the positive side, going back to our study of Lamentations a couple weeks ago, Moses is taking his complaint to God instead of away from him. He's using his God-given exhaust pipe. Like we can commend that at least in the passage. And yet at the same time, this passage is a good follow-up to our study on lamentations because lament can be taken too far, can't it? Like it can become an indictment on God's character that leads us to despair instead of to belief. It can leave us saying, God, This is all your fault. Look at what Moses has completely forgotten. Go back to chapter 4. Back in chapter 4 we read this. That the Lord had said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Y'all, God had already told him what was going to happen. And he had already given him even the next step to take after Pharaoh said no. This is what unbelief does, church. It gives you short-term memory loss. Our hearts cry out, God, I am nailed to this thing. And there is no escape and no new life coming from you. It reminds me of a song that I heard recently by a band called Ghost Ship. And it draws from the book of Job, but I think it's a clear connection here. And the lyrics go like this. I said to God, I do not understand this world. Everything is dying and broken. Why do I see nothing but suffering? 
God, I'm asking, could this be your plan? Sin has taken hold of this whole land. And will you not say anything else to me? And God said, Where were you on the day that I measured, sunk the banks and stretched the line over all the earth and carved out its cornerstone? Where were you the day that I spoke and told the sun to split the night open, calm the morning dawn with its light to show? Who shut in the ocean with stone doors, marked the reach of tides on those new shores, hung the day the waves rose and first broke through? Have you seen the springs of that great sea, walked the caverns carved in the black deep, through the gates of darkness there on its floor? Have you seen the armory I hold? Snow and hail are stacked up in silos for the times of trouble and war and strife. Can you raise your voice to the storm cloud? Would the thunder answer and ring out? Does the lightning ask you where it should strike? Who has cleft the channels for torrents, rain to sprout the desert with forests in the wilderness that my hand has built? How about this? Can you hunt the prey for young lions? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Is this whole world bending beneath your will? And like this is kind of what we expect from God's response to Moses, right? Like who do you think you are, Moses? But the song concludes with the man saying this. I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. And although I had no right to ask, my God knelt and answered me. Even though Moses had no right to indict God's character, even though he fell into despair and unbelief at the pain of crucifixion, his God knelt and answered him. It reminds me of these words from Romans chapter 3. Do you think our faithlessness cancels out his faithfulness? Not on your life. Depend on it. God keeps his word even when the whole world is lying through its teeth. Scripture says the same. Your word stands fast and true. Rejection doesn't faze you. God cannot help but believe in the plan he has made and the word that he has spoken. And that is precisely the third response that we see to crucifixion here. To believe. In verse 1 we read this. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Now, now you shall see, uh, I'm sorry, Yahweh says. Why now? What's the point of this moment here? I think it's this, that Moses and Israel are at the end of themselves. We can't do this. Like when you reach that point, we cannot do this. What is it, the song that we sang earlier, all my schemes of earthly joy? Like I've tried everything and nothing is availing, nothing is successful, nothing is pushing this forward or ending this pain. It's now that Yahweh is ready to work. Twice in this passage, there has been reference to the people of Israel crying out to Pharaoh for mercy from his strong hand. And note the contrast here, y'all. What does Israel receive from Pharaoh's hand? Cruelty. 
more work, a heavier yoke. And what do they receive from Yahweh's hand? Mercy. And this is the picture that we get of what Yahweh is going to do with Pharaoh's hand. This just works out so beautifully. I love it. Kiddos in the room, some of y'all have been playing Zelda on your Nintendo Switch. I know, and if you haven't, you'll still get the, the analogy. But this week, my girls got the new version of this classic video game. And in it, after you defeat a creature called a Bacoblin, you can then use its skeletal arm as a weapon against other Bacoblins. Literally, you take, take his skeletal arm, you're beating and knocking around on other Bacoblins. His cousin and his brother, killing them. Okay? Isn't that crazy? The weird thing, though, is as you're carrying this thing around, this skeletal arm, it's doing this. It's still moving. All right? Like it's still got a little bit of life in it. It's crazy. Okay? You're like, what in the world is the point of this? Here's the point. You're going to love this. That's actually what Yahweh is going to do with Pharaoh's hands. Like he's going to defeat him so soundly that he's going to take Pharaoh's strong hand, not just defeat it, but use it as the means in which the people of Israel will be sent out into freedom. Oh my goodness, man. That is something you could totally shame your enemy with. Not just, I'm going to defeat you and then I'll send them out, but I'm going to defeat you. I'm going to take your hand and send them out. See how strong and amazing our God is? See how he's showing off the strength of his arm here in this passage? Yes, there is crucifixion here. No doubt, Yahweh hates to see his people nailed to the cross of more cruelty and injustice. And yet he does not crucify them in turn, nor does he despair. He holds to the conviction that on the other side of this crucifixion, new life is coming. God holds on to belief he cannot do otherwise. In other words, our God is like Sam Elliott's character, Command Sergeant Major Plumley. Later in the movie, after a terrible battle, the survivors are all sitting in a huddle waiting for the helicopters to extract them from the field. And it's in that moment that Plumley looks at the young soldier who had said to him, Good morning, Sergeant Major. And Plumley says to him, Now it's a good morning. Y'all, our God has seen some stuff. Not just a figurative crucifixion, but real crucifixion. Even though we have indicted God's character, fell into despair and unbelief, called out to the wrong hand for mercy, tattled on and cursed at the innocent, asked the questions, why do I see nothing but suffering? God, could this be your plan? Will you not say anything else to me? Even though we had no right, Yahweh has knelt and answered us. Not just by empathizing with our hardship, but by entering into it himself in the sent one of Yahweh, Jesus Christ. You see, Moses thought that he experienced rejection despite his obedience. That was nothing compared to Jesus. Isaiah 53 says that he was... We can sum him up in this light, despised and rejected by men, all men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
Moses may have had a curse of judgment spoken down on him by the people of God. But Jesus had an actual judgment sent down on him through a real cross. And he couldn't go over it, couldn't go under it, couldn't go around it, had to go through it. Why? Because it was the only way that we could be saved from our sins. Because it was the only way that God could convince us that he really does love us and isn't given up. Because it was the way that God could take Satan's strong arm and defeat it and then use it against him. Yes, like Satan had his way with Jesus on the cross. But ultimately God was just using him. He was standing there in the grip on the cross and it was a good morning. How could that be? It was a good morning because it accomplished something that would allow you to cry out and receive mercy instead of cruelty so that you can be sent out into freedom. And not only freedom from sin, but the freedom that allows you to fight well and spiritually survive the hardships that you're nailed to. You see, Jesus was the embodiment of the believer. He could not help but believe the plan that he had made and the word that he had spoken. Listen to this. He says the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Doesn't end there. And be raised on the third day. He held on to belief about that. Therefore, he went through the cross, not around it, not under it, not over it. He did not crucify in turn. He did not despair. But he kept belief on the way to new life. And this, this believer is who lives in you, believer. And so when crucifixion comes your way and Satan is discrediting God, he's saying, did God really say? Has he really met with you? Is God really for you? Yes, Come to the end of yourself and your ability to get yourself out of the mess. And then look to the place where Yahweh has knelt and answered you. It's not just sentimental. It's not just empathetic. He has truly knelt and answered you at the cross in the empty tomb. And so, welcome easy. Yeah, hey, I welcome some easy. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But I expect hard. I welcome easy, but in this Christian life, I expect hard. And then let him give you the strength to not go over it, under it, around it, but through it without losing your faith. In other words, church, let him woo you in the wilderness. And so consider this table that is set before you as one in the midst of your enemies. Think of it like a Bedouin feast spread in a desert wilderness. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took a cup of wine. And after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples He said, this marks the new covenant in the shedding of my blood. And as often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. 
Today, church, we're going to announce something from Psalm 99. Let's say it together. Like Moses and Aaron, we have called upon the Lord, and he has answered us. Amen. Our tradition at Antioch is for you, baptized believers, whether or not you're a member of our church, to come forward to this feast spread in the wilderness, to break off a piece of bread, to dip it into the juice, remembering two things. One, what Christ has done for you and what he has promised to do upon his return. And I would add this, that he loves you, remembering that he really does love you. And he likes you. They'll be gluten-free available on this side if you have any need. If you're here today and you're not a baptized believer, then you're making bricks without straw. And that is a terribly cruel lordship to live under. Not under the Lord, but under Satan and his power. You can be free from that. You can be free from that if you will turn to Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in him and him alone. Not your effort to be good enough. Not your effort that's made you too bad. But his effort on your behalf because he loved you. If you put your trust in him and him alone, you'll be saved and set free. And you'll no longer have to make bricks without straw. There'll be people in the back to pray with anyone who has any need. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you. Thank you for speaking to us. Lord, we would love for us to be able to hear your audible voice and to see your awesome deeds. And yet, Lord, we remind ourselves that we have something even greater than an audible voice, than amazing deeds. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt who you are and what your heart is toward us because we've seen it in the real person of Jesus Christ who came, lived the life that we could never live, died the death that we certainly did deserve and rose with power over it all so that we could be free. Lord, help us to know today that for those who belong to you, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And if we are carrying a yoke and a burden that is crushing to us today, if we are walking in such a way that we are making bricks without straw, Lord, let that precious one know that they are not living under your lordship, but under the lordship of another. Because you do not crush us in this way. Jesus, you took the weight for us on the cross and paid the price so that we would no longer just be slaves, but sons and daughters. And so let your people be encouraged and brought near and strengthened as true believers today. And those who do not know you, Lord, I do pray that they would choose freedom. Have your way in this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.